we go through the Bible, we see that every story points towards the story. The story of Christ's birth, His life, His ministry, His death, and His resurrection. And we are here to celebrate Christ today as we look towards Christmas in just a few days. If you haven't already, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. The last Lord's Day, we started looking at Ephesians 2 and looking at it and talking about the, the great gift that we have in Christ Uh, It's very easy this time of year to get caught up in all the hustle and bustle and activity and and forget to to pause and reflect on what it is that we truly celebrate at Christmas. And so last week we went through the first uh, 10 verses of Ephesians 2 and talked about the great gift we have in Christ that we can celebrate at Christmas. Today we're going to continue looking at Ephesians 2, just surveying this chapter to highlight a few more things that we are reminded of at Christmas as we celebrate the birth of Christ. Let me read these verses for us and then pray for our time in God's Word this morning. This is what Scripture says. This is what God has communicated through Paul, through the Holy Spirit, that we might receive this truth today. So please be attentive to it. Beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Sovereign God, as we come to Your Word today, we pray that You would teach us through it, that You would remind us, Lord, of what this Christmas season is truly about. Lord, we can get so caught up in all the activity, even now as we come to church, as we sing, as we look to Your Word, our minds can wander off into the events of today and this week, and we can get worried and anxious and overwhelmed. And so, Father, we pray that You would give us grace to help us to focus on Your Word, to help us to learn from it, that we might be encouraged by these words. And we pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, once again, Merry Christmas, and I hope that you do have a a great celebration this week. You probably all have a number of traditions that come along with Christmas season. One of the 
traditions in my house growing up was on Christmas Eve, we got to open up one gift. And so in the days leading up to Christmas Eve, I would inspect about every package and try to weigh them and analyze them and figure out exactly what was in each one so that I could open up that, that one present that I knew I just wanted to see first on Christmas Eve. I remember one year in particular when I was young, the, there was a box there and it had a particular uh, rattle to it and I was intrigued by it and I wondered what it might be and I was very uh, surprised when I opened it up to see my new belt that I had received for Christmas. <laughs> Parents, don't let your kids open up a belt on Christmas Eve. It will scar them for life and they will preach about it one day. But uh, it was quite a disappointment, that was not what I was expecting, and rather than think about all the gifts that were to come, I still remember that Christmas as the one where I opened up the belt. Um, you probably have similar experiences, there's probably a gift you weren't expecting, but, but even for those gifts that we're looking forward to, that there's a little bit of letdown after Christmas. We open up everything and we're excited, but we all know the reality, the, the, the toy that we stood in line to buy our kids will be the toy that... No one stands in line for it at our yard sale next year to buy. And uh, the belts, uh, we will grow out of them. Uh, the clothes will one day be donated to Goodwill. The, the things we get so excited about now are very temporal. Well, it's important that at Christmas time we pause and consider the great gift we have that's not temporal, the gift we have in Christ Jesus. And I hope you'll be reminded of that as we walk through this text this Lord's Day. I want to point out just a few things that this text reminds us of, if you remember last week we talked about the, the gift that we have in Christmas, the, the gift of life for dead people. Paul talked about how we were, we were dead, but Christ has given us life. The, the gift of salvation for lost people, that we were lost and wandering and Christ saved us. The gift of faith for hopeless people. Uh, he carries on in that theme now, and we're going to look more at the things that this text reminds us of. The first one being this, number one, that Christmas reminds us that we were once separated, but we've now been brought close to God. We were separated, but we've now been brought close to God. Paul starts out in verse 11 saying, Therefore, remember, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, he, he's talking about this, this separation that exists between the people of Israel and the Gentile people. Uh, if you're a student of the Scriptures, you know that throughout the Old Testament, you read about God's people, the people of Israel. They were God's people of His covenant promise. that He provided for them. He protected them. Even in the midst of their disobedience, you always saw the, the hand of God over His people. And then outside of those people were basically the Gentiles. Uh, here, Paul is writing to a group of people in Ephesus, many of whom were Gentiles and are now believers, and he's saying, don't, don't forget who you used to be. Uh, don't forget how, how far the reach of God is that He saved even you. We don't think so much in our context today about uh, Jew and Gentile, but we do think of different religions. And so you can kind of get a grasp on this perhaps as you think about the, the many faiths of the world and, and some of those that are so distant, so far away from what the Bible teaches. Earlier this year I had the opportunity to go to Malaysia and spend some time with our missionaries there. And uh, one of the things that we did while we were there is we we wanted to get kind of just an idea of the spiritual landscape of that country and that area and those people and this, this main city of 8.5 million people and most of whom are completely without a knowledge of the gospel of Christ. And 
Many world religions have crept in there, and one of the predominant religions among group of people there is Hinduism. And we went to an area north of the city there called the, the Batu Caves. And if you go home and look up the Batu Caves on your computer, what you'll see is this, this massive golden Hindu, Hindu statue sitting in front of this cave. It's about 150 feet tall. It took them three years to build this statue. And it represents one of 330 million deities in the Hindu faith. As we went through the Batu Caves, we, we passed that enormous gold statue and we walked up these steps and, and literally every other step you could look and you could see a shrine and we go up into the, to the cave itself and there's just a place of shrines and temples after temples and false deity after false deity and people are just lined up to kneel before these false gods. Hinduism is just one of many religions that teaches that they're is literally a God for every little specific thing in the universe. The God of the sun, the God of the stars, and all these false deities. And as I watched and looked at these people, my heart broke as I thought. They, they think somehow they're going to appease a holy God by bowing down in front of something made by the hands of man. That, that they were far off. Paul here is saying, you Gentile people, remember how far away you were. And yet the great gift we have in Christ Jesus is those who were so far off, Christ died for and He rescued. We have that reminder that that, that we were separated and yet He has brought us close to God. And the true separation we see is not just the separation between Jew and Gentile. The the separation is everybody separated from Christ. And that's what Paul points out here. He says, "You, you were separated from Christ. Telling the Jewish people, it doesn't matter how, how, how devout you were in your Judaism, you too were separated from Christ. And yet he says that they've been brought near. And to remember what that separation was, he gives several attributes of it. He says you were, you were alienated. And that term in the Greek means essentially you were estranged. There was no opportunity for reconciliation. He says, he says you were strangers. And think about that word stranger, how, how we use that word. We tend to think a stranger as someone who may look like us, may talk like us. We, we just don't know them yet. So we teach our kids, you know, be, be, be careful of strangers. Stranger danger, you know, just watch out for strangers. Remember when, uh, I won't pick on them too much since they're all here right now. One of my children, uh, when they were young, we're talking to them about strangers. We're talking to them about, you know, when you're in a store, don't, don't, don't go anywhere, the stranger. And so one of our children, perhaps the oldest one, uh, <laughs> decided to, 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 to test us on this and, and what would really happen if he were to say something if there was a stranger. So one day there at Target, he was with his mother and for a reason that we still don't understand, he just started yelling, this person is not my mother. She, she's a stranger, help me. It didn't end well for that child. <laughs> I, I later asked Sandy, what, what, what exactly happened? Did, any, did, did security come out or anybody else? She said, well, no, it was mostly other mothers around with other young children who just looked and said, we understand, God bless you. And, <laughs> but, but what we think of stranger is someone who we just haven't met yet, so they can look like us, talk like us, we, we just don't know them, and then once we meet them, they're not a stranger anymore. And yet what we see in the text here is something very different. 
When God is saying that, that we were once strangers, He's not saying that, that we just needed an introduction. He is saying that we were, we were completely foreign. Uh, we were different. There, there was nothing that was going to reconcile us. It's kind of the sense you have if you've ever been around someone who, who you didn't know their language and you didn't understand their language and there's no one to interpret and there's just nothing you can do to bridge that gap in that moment. And God is saying that's who we were apart from Christ. We, we were strangers. We didn't just need an introduction. We needed a new heart. And that comes to us through Christ Jesus. And we're reminded this Lord's Day of what we were reminded of last Lord's Day. As Paul talked about in the beginning of chapter 2, you know, you were, you were dead and you were in sin and you were carrying out the desires of your flesh. But you remember verse 4, he says, But God... You know, not, not but you or but the preacher, but, but God rescued us. And here he does the same thing in verse 13. He says, but now. He reminds us of who we are now. We, we need that reminder in our lives. So we have an enemy who wants to remind us of who we were. I'm an enemy who wants to remind us of, of what it was to be a stranger and make us feel like we still are a stranger to God. So you'll hear people say who are followers of Christ, well, I feel so distant from God. And yet we see in the text, there is no distance. We've been brought near through Christ. And yet that enemy wants to tell us, no, 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 you're, you're still far away and you have sin. And perhaps this morning you, you have this sense of if people really knew what was going on in your mind, no one would want to be around you because you just have such darkness there. And yet we're reminded in the Scripture that God has overcome that. But now, but now we, we have been brought near to Christ, in Christ. And notice it doesn't happen by our initiative. It happens by His. He tells us we have been brought near. You, you don't bring yourself anywhere. He has brought you somewhere. God is the one doing this. He, he is the one who is active. We are the one that's passive. You think about it this way in the coming Days, perhaps some of the kids have already gotten into the presence, but let's assume they haven't. You know, you'll, you'll have that experience where there's that, that gift and it's there for them. It's got their name on it, but, but why is it there? Is it really there because the, our kids were so good this year? No, it's not. You know, is it really there but because we think they just earned it? Because we look around all the kids and we, oh, our kids, they're so, i got to get them. No, they're, they're, the gifts are there because we love them, because we want to give good things to them. Others want to give good things to them, and so we give them these gifts. It's not there because they did it. It's not there because they earned it. It's there because it's, it's a gift we're giving. The Scripture tells us that that is what salvation is for us. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we've deserved. It's not something that, that is due to our merit. It is a gift of God. We have been brought near to God in Christ, through Christ. Verse 13 says specifically, by the blood of Christ. I realize that at Christmas time, we don't necessarily talk a lot about the blood of Christ, but you can't really talk about Christmas in the Scripture without talking about the blood of Christ. Because this baby born in the manger grew to be a man who went to the cross, and he went there very specifically to atone for our sins, and it was made possible through his blood. So you will read from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, and you'll see a consistent theme there. Sin must be atoned for. And it requires blood. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden. There in the garden, they, they sin, they fall. That, that separation comes in. 
And what do they do? They try to cover themselves. What do we do when we sin? We try to cover ourselves, no matter how ridiculous we look doing it. Even when the whole world knows we've done something wrong. We deny it. We try to cover ourselves. Adam and Eve try to physically cover themselves with what? They, they sew together fig leaves. And yet, what does God do? He gives a consequence. He sends them out of the garden. But notice what He does before that. He kills an animal to cover them with the skins of that animal. That, that, that there is something being forecast there. That, that blood is necessary to atone for sin. But the Scripture tells us never, never will the blood of goats and lambs atone for the sin of man. And so over and over again in the sacrificial system, the people of old in Israel being taught there must be a blood sacrifice, but this isn't it. And this would all lead them to an understanding of Christ's birth and the cross and that was the sacrifice needed. And that's what Paul is telling us here in this text. And that's the great gift we have in Christ, that, that His blood was shed so that ours would not have to be. And that's why we have this picture you can look at in Revelation. We've mentioned this many times. Of, of we're all standing there in white robes. How did they get white? It's not some industrial washing system in heaven. That they're white because the blood of Christ has cleansed us. And that is a great encouragement to us this Lord's Day. As we celebrate Christmas, celebrate that we have been made clean through Christ Jesus. It's not because of anything you've done or I've done. It's a work of God. Number two, once hostile, we have been given peace with God. Paul talks here about a, a dividing wall of hostility. He's specifically speaking of the, the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. The, the hostility we see throughout the Scripture between these two groups of people. And he's saying that that wall has been torn down, but not just the wall between them, the wall between God and us. See, Jew and Gentile can be reconciled together and still be separated from God. A, a great wall of division must be torn down, and that's what Christ does i remember as a teenager watching the news reports of the berlin wall coming down in 1989 the berlin wall stood in the middle of germany you had west germany and east germany post-world war ii east germany was still under communism and so people would defect and leave east germany to go to find freedom in west germany and so the east germans built this this enormous wall the berlin wall that would divide that nation that would hold a people back who wanted to experience freedom. But in 1989, through a series of events that swept throughout Eastern Europe, this wall came down. And I remember watching and seeing and just this image I can still see in my head of, of these people with, with hammers and sledgehammers and they're just hitting and they're, they're beating on this wall and chunks of it are just coming off. And people are climbing over the wall and they're celebrating. And Why? Because they had freedom. Because the wall had been broken down. And friends, that's the celebration we have at Christmas. This, this wall of separation that exists between a holy God and you and I, sinful man, it has been torn down through Christ. He has ripped that wall to pieces. I was talking with someone this morning who actually was in Germany when the wall came down and we were joking about how uh, you, could, you could buy parts of the wall and you can still get on the eBay and you can buy a piece of the wall and how pretty much anybody who had access to concrete could sell a piece of what was supposedly the Berlin Wall. But as we talked about it, I thought about those who have an authentic piece of it who were there, who once that wall was what separated them from freedom and now they keep it 
to remind them that they are now free people. And that's what the cross of Christ is for us. It serves as a reminder to us that Christ has torn down this wall, that this wall of separation between us and God. The Scripture tells us the way He does that. Verse 14, it's because He is our peace. He, he is our peacemaker. And it's very important that we understand when we talk about peace in the Scripture, it's very different than we think about peace in our culture. This is not a 60s hippie peace. This is not a give peace a chance. This is not peace is just the absence of war. In fact, when we think about peace, that's, that's what we think of. We think, well, well, peace is when someone raises the white flag it's when the bombs stop. It's when we say, okay, no more, we're going to get along now. But that's not the peace Christ gives. Christ does not stand between God and us with a white flag saying, don't drop your wrath on them, God. We're okay now, God. Now, what does Christ do? Christ does what you see the kings in the Old Testament do. In order for peace to come, as you read through the Old Testament, true peace to come, it came when a king would completely obliterate and destroy his enemies. It came when two nations were warring and one defeated the other and squashed them out and ruled them and then that was true peace. And that's what Christ does for us. Christ is our peacemaker. Why? Because He has defeated the enemy. Because He has defeated sin. Because He has defeated the law of sin and death. Because Christ has done what we in the flesh could not do. No matter how good you perceive yourself to be, there's nothing, nothing we can do in our own effort to appease the wrath of God. And yet Christ has done that very thing on the cross and dying for our sin. He is our peace because He has defeated the enemy. And that's why we no longer have this hostility. He's giving us this peace with God. And the great news is, is it's for everybody. Paul says it's for those who were far off and those who were near. That the peace of the gospel is for the Hindu in Malaysia who this very hour may be bending their knee to a false god. And it is for those of you who are here this morning who perhaps while you have grown up in the walls of this church or some other, you've yet to repent and place your faith in Christ. But you consider yourself a, a good Baptist. You have a good religion about you and you feel like you are, you are closer to God. And God's Word says this peace is available for that Hindu and this peace is available for you, but it will not come through our efforts. It will not come through our works. It will be brought to us in Christ and through Christ. And what a gift that is that's available for all of us. Point three. While we were once strangers, we have been adopted into God's household. Verse 18 talks about this. Paul says, For through Him we have access in one Spirit to the Father. It talks about not only are we reconciled to God now, we, we have access to Him. I mean, think about that. That the God who created everything, that the God who with the very Word creates not just our little planet, but all the planets, not just our galaxy, all the galaxy, the God of all that, we have access to Him through the Spirit, through Christ. One of the gifts that I have here at church is caller ID. I love caller ID. 
those who work here can tell you, I don't answer the phone much anyways, but I always look when it rings and I look at that caller ID and oftentimes it's an it's a 800 number or it's a telemarketer or it's someone wanting to call to, to sell our church the latest thing that's going to you know, win the world. I don't pick up those phone calls. Let me tell you the one I do pick up. When it says Sandy Carwile, I pick that phone up. When I see her name and number pop up, I pick up the phone. My children don't have phones of their own, but one day, years from now, when they do have one, when I see their name, when it says Parker or Vivian or Anna Claire or Caroline Carwell, I will pick up the phone. Why? Because they have access to me. We are family. I am the husband, the father. I want to know what they need. I'm ready to help them. I don't care what the telemarketer wants to talk to me about. I'm not going to pick up that call. I'm going to pick up their call. Paul says we, we have access to the Father. We are not just some annoying telemarketer when we get on our knees and pray. He is listening to us, not because of us, but because of Christ in the Spirit. The Spirit, it says, is our access to the Father. And what a great gift we have in that. It says in verse 19 that we're fellow citizens with the saints. <laughs> you feel like a saint this morning? <laughs> See, the Scripture says you are. We, we should shake hands as we leave today. You know, Thank you for coming, saint. <laughs> it just sounds a little awkward, doesn't it? Because we don't think of each other that way. We think of our faults. We think of how we've let each other down. We don't think of each other as a saint. And yet, the word saint here is not... You've done so good, you deserve to be called a saint. Again, it's what? Christ has done so good, and therefore He has adopted us, brought us in, calls us saints. We are His people, we are His church. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done. And we're citizens, citizens it tells us, of another kingdom. I've shared a number of times about the opportunities I've had over two decades of ministry to go to different countries and lands and minister and go on missions, and I pray that God will always give me those opportunities. But there's something that, that's always been there when I've gone to another land, whether it was Eastern Europe, West Africa, Southeast Asia. Every time I leave this country, the most valued possession I have is my passport. <laughs> and I will hold on to that thing for dear life. I don't leave it in my room I keep it with me, on me at all times. Why? Because I'm very aware that I'm in a foreign land that I'm not a citizen of and that that passport shows that I'm a citizen of the United States of America. That, that I deserve rights and privileges that belong to citizens of this country, but I don't get the rights and privileges of being a Malaysian or being a Pole or being from areas of West Africa. Why? Because I'm not a citizen of those places. I'm a stranger there. I'm a foreigner there. I'm passing through there. Even our missionaries who serve in foreign lands, they have to go through great expense and trial at times to get visas just to say they have permission to be there. But essentially what that visa is saying is while you have permission to be here, you're not a citizen. And we can kick you out. This isn't your country. What is Christ saying here? What's God's Word telling us? It's saying our citizenship, the significance of it is not whether I'm from Poland or the United States of America. The great significance of my citizenship is I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. And I get all rights and privileges that come with that. 
It says that you and I are children of the king. Do you know that? Do you understand that? The great gift we have at Christmas is not what's in those boxes. The great gift we have is in the celebration of God's word that says, this is who we are now. We're not who we used to be. Thank God we are somebody different. And he's using us for a purpose, not just us individually, but us collectively together. There are things that you can only get from the text when you go to the original language. And and one of them is when, when the text says you, it seems like we always tend to read that as an individual singular you. When, when we read things like, you know, you were dead in your trespasses, we think, well, that's saying Richard, me, I was dead. And yet, in chapter 2, every single time he says the word you, it's plural. And this is why that's significant, because Paul isn't just saying here that, that Christ came and died for Richard and for this person and that person. Christ is came and died for His people, His church. That, that's who we are. We don't, we don't just assemble together so that we can cooperate in giving and support missionaries. We assemble together because this is the you that Christ is speaking of, that Paul's writing of here in Ephesians 2. It says that you, the Bloomfield Baptist Church, are being joined together, being grown into a holy temple in the Lord, that that in Christ, you, us, we, the church, are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is great purpose for us to gather together. For us to come together despite our differences. Despite all our opinions that may vary. See, our unity, our coming together is very significant because it is a fruit of the work of the Spirit of God. And yet the sad reality is, what are we often known for? We're often known for our lack of unity. We're often known as the place that argues over the color of the carpet. Or I'm not going to say any other examples because they're probably true and I don't want to upset you. But We argue over the little goofiest things and yet Christ died for us, for the church. Why? That we might represent the glory of God to a lost and dying world. I want you to remember that this Christmas. I want you to join me in thanking God for that this Christmas, that Christ has given us the gift of salvation that comes through His Son, Christ Jesus. It's more, grateful, more, more great, great than any gift we can ever put in a box. And remember, this gift is given to us, His church, that we might celebrate it, respond to it, receive it, and that we might go tell a lost and dying world about it. Because Christ died for those who are near, here in our community, Maybe here in our church, as well as those who are far off. There, there is no one that you're going to encounter at the family Christmas party that you're not looking forward to that's so far gone that the saving reach of God cannot grab them and draw them to faith and repentance. Thank God He did that for us. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank You for the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank You, God, that as we celebrate Christmas, we can celebrate the great gift we have in Jesus. Father, I pray for any here who's yet to bend their knee to Christ, who's yet to repent and place their faith in Christ, Lord, that You would draw them to that repentance and faith. I pray, God, for any who needs to just repent this morning as You're just revealing sin to them. Perhaps a a sin of just being in a lack of unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. Just, Lord, I pray you would convict them, burden them, that even now as we sing, that they would just pray and confess and repent to you. 
Father, I pray that you would remind us this Christmas of the great gift we have in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.